chapter four of abraham lincoln a history volume nine this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. abraham lincoln a history volume nine by john hay and john george nicolay the resignation of mr chase after mr chase's withdrawal from his hopeless contest for the presidency his sentiments towards mr lincoln as exhibited in his letters and his diary took on a tinge of bitterness which gradually increased until their friendly association in the public service became no longer possible there was something almost comic in the sudden collapse of his candidacy and the american people who are quick to detect the ludicrous in any event could not help smiling when the states of rhode island and ohio ranged themselves among the first on the side of the president this was intolerable to mr chase who with all his great and noble qualities was deficient in humour his wounded self-love could find no balm in these circumstances except in the preposterous fiction which he constructed for himself that through the systematic operation of the postmaster-general and those holding office under him a preference for the re-election of mr lincoln was created absurd as this fancy was he appears firmly to have believed it and the blairs whom he never liked now appeared to him in the light of powerful enemies an incident which occurred in congress in april increased this impression to a degree which was almost maddening to the secretary the quarrel between general francis p blair jr and the radicals in missouri had been transferred to washington and one of the missouri members having made charges against him of corrupt operations in trade permits he demanded an investigation which resulted of course in his complete exoneration from such imputations it was a striking instance of the bewildering power of factious hatred that such charges should ever have been brought any one who knew blair however slightly should have known that personal dishonesty could never have offered him the least temptation in defending himself on the floor of congress the natural pugnacity of his disposition led him to what soldiers call an offensive return in fact frank blair always preferred to do his fighting within the enemy's lines and believing the secretary of treasury to be in sympathy at least with the assault which had been made upon his character he attacked him with equal vigor and injustice by way of retaliation as we have seen in another chapter before this investigation was begun the president had promised when blair should resign his seat in the house to restore him to the command in the western army which he had relinquished on coming to washington although he greatly disapproved of general blair's attack upon mr chase the president did not think that he was justified on this account in breaking his word and doubtless reasoned that sending blair back to the army would not only enable him to do good service in the field but would quiet an element of discord in congress 
the result however was most unfortunate in its effect on the feelings of mr chase he was stung to the bitterest resentment by the attack of blair and he held that restoring blair to his command made the president an accomplice in his offence from that time he took a continually darkened view both of the president's character and of his chances for re-election no good could come he said of the probable identification of the next administration with the blair family his first thought was to resign his place in the cabinet though on consulting his friends and finding them unanimous against such a course he gave it up but his letters during this month are full of ill-will to the president to his niece he wrote if congress gives me the measures i want and uncle abe will stop spending so fast he chase would bring about resumption within a year to another he indirectly blamed the president for the slaughter at fort pillow to governor buckingham who had written him a sympathetic note he said my chief concern in the attacks made on me springs from the conviction that the influence of the men who make them must necessarily divide the friends of the union and freedom unless the president shall cast it off of which i have little hope i am willing to be myself its victim but grieve to think our country may be also and adds this compliment to his correspondent at the expense of his colleagues in the government how strikingly the economy and prudence shown by the narration of your excellent message contrasts with the extravagance and recklessness which mark the disbursement of national treasure writing to another friend he indulges in this lumbering pleasantry it seems as if there were no limit to expense the spigot in uncle abe's barrel is made twice as big as the bunghole he may have been a good flat boatman and rail splitter but he certainly never learned the true science of coopering this was a dark month to him his only fortress of refuge was his self-esteem secure in this he lavished on every side his criticisms and his animadversions upon his associates congress he said is unwilling to take the decisive steps which are indispensable to the highest degree of public credit and the executive does not i fear sufficiently realize the importance of an energetic and comprehensive policy in all departments of administration smarting as he did under the attack of the blairs he pretended to treat them with contempt don't trouble yourself about the blairs he wrote to an adherent dogs will bark at the moon but i have never heard that the moon stopped on that account by constantly dwelling on the imaginary coalition of lincoln with the blairs against him he began at last to take heart again and to think that against adversaries so weak and so wicked there might still be a chance of victory only a fortnight before the gathering of the republican convention at baltimore he began to look beyond the already certain event of that convention and to contemplate the possibility of defeating mr lincoln after he should be nominated it has become quite apparent now he wrote that the importunity of mr lincoln's special friends for an early convention in order to make his nomination sure was a mistake both for him and for the country 
the convention will not be regarded as a union convention but simply as a blair lincoln convention by a great body of citizens whose support is essential to success few except those already committed to mr lincoln will consider themselves bound by a predetermined nomination very many who may ultimately vote for mr lincoln will wait the course of events hoping that some popular movement for grant or some other successful general will offer a better hope of saving the country others and the number seems to be increasing will not support his nomination in any event believing that our ill success thus far in the suppression of the rebellion is due mainly to his course of action and inaction and that no change can be for the worse but these are speculations merely from my standpoint the secretary's relations with the president and his colleagues while he was in this mood were naturally subject to much friction and this frame of mind had lasted with little variation for more than a year it was impossible to get on with him except by constant agreement to all his demands he chose in his letters and his diaries to represent himself as the one just and patriotic man in the government who was striving with desperate energy but with little hope to preserve the administration from corrupt influences it cannot be doubted that his motives were pure his ability and industry unusual his integrity of course beyond question he held and justly held that being responsible for the proper conduct of affairs in his department he should not be compelled to make appointments contrary to his convictions of duty he was unquestionably right in insisting that appointments should be made on public grounds and that only men of ability and character should be chosen to fill them but he had an exasperating habit of assuming that nobody agreed with him in this view and that all differences of opinion in regard to persons necessarily sprung from corrupt or improper motives on the part of those who differed with him at the slightest word of disagreement he immediately put on his full armour of noble sentiments and phrases appealed to heaven for the rectitude of his intentions and threatened to resign his commission if thwarted in his purpose when he was not opposed he made his recommendations as his colleagues did on grounds of political expediency as well as of personal fitness one day for instance he recommended the appointment of reinhold solger as assistant register of the treasury on the ground that the german supporters of the administration have had no considerable appointment in the department he frequently gave in support of his nominees the recommendations of senators and representatives of the states where the appointments were to be made but he always sturdily resented any suggestions from the president that an appointment proposed by him would have a bad effect politically he had the faculty of making himself believe that his obstinacy in such matters arose purely from devotion to principle he would not only weary the president with unending oral discussions but returning to the department would write him letters filled with high and irrelevant morality and at evening would enter in his diary meditations upon his own purity and the perversity of those he chose to call his enemies 
it would hardly be wise for the ablest man of affairs to assume such an attitude to justify it at all one should be infallible in his judgment of men with the secretary of the treasury this was far from being the case he was not a good judge of character he gave his confidence freely to any one who came flattering him and criticizing the president and after having given it it was almost impossible to make him believe that the man who talked so judiciously could be a knave his chosen biographer judge warden says he was indeed sought less by strong men and by good men than by weak men and by bad men a much better authority whitelaw reed while giving him unmeasured praise for other qualities calls him profoundly ignorant of men and says the baldest charlatan might deceive him into trusting his personal worth early in the year eighteen sixty four the federal appointments in new york city began to be the subject of frequent conversations between the president and the secretary of the treasury so many complaints of irregularity and inefficiency in the conduct of affairs in the new york custom-house had reached mr lincoln that he began to think a change in the officers there would be of advantage to the public service every suggestion of this sort however was met by mr chase with passionate opposition mr lincoln had not lost confidence in the integrity or the high character of hiram barney the collector of customs he was even willing to give him an important appointment abroad in testimony of his continued esteem but he was not satisfied with what he heard of the conduct of his office several of his subordinates had been detected in improper and corrupt practices and after being defended by mr chase until defence was impossible they had been dismissed and in some cases punished in the month of february while the conduct of the custom-house was under investigation in congress a special agent of the treasury department named joshua f bailey came to washington having been summoned as a witness to testify before the committee of the house of representatives in charge of the matter he called on the chairman in advance and endeavored to smother the investigation by saying among other things that whatever might be developed the president would in no case take any action the chairman of the committee reported this impudent statement to the president who at once communicated the fact to the secretary of the treasury saying the public interest cannot fail to suffer in the hands of this irresponsible and unscrupulous man and he proposed at the same time to send mr barney as minister to portugal mr chase defended bailey and resisted with such energy the displacement of mr barney that midsummer came with matters in the custom-house unchanged mr chase in his diary gives a full account of a conversation between himself and the president in regard to this matter in which the secretary reiterates his assurances of confidence in the conduct of the custom-house and gives especially warm expression to his regard for bailey meeting the positive assertion of the chairman of the committee of the house of representatives by saying i think mr bailey is not the fool to have made such a suggestion 
so long as he remained in office he gave this blind confidence to bailey who finally showed how ill he deserved it by the embezzlement of a large sum of public money and by his flight in ruin and disgrace from the country in february eighteen sixty three the senate rejected the nomination of mark howard as collector of internal revenue for the district of connecticut mr chase hearing that this rejection was made at the instance of senator dixon immediately wrote a letter demanding the renomination of howard or if the president should not agree with him in this of some one not recommended by senator dixon a few days later the president wrote to mr chase that after much reflection and with a great deal of pain that it was adverse to his wish he had concluded that it was not best to renominate mr howard he recognized the constitutional right of the senate to reject his nomination without being called to account and to take the ground in advance that he would nominate no one for the vacant place who was favored by a senator so eminent in character and ability as mr dixon seemed to him preposterous the only person from connecticut recommended for the vacancy was edward goodman in favor of whom senator dixon and dwight loomis the representative in the house cordially united the president therefore asked mr chase to send him a nomination for goodman immediately on the receipt of this letter mr chase wrote out his resignation as secretary of the treasury in these words finding myself unable to approve the manner in which selections for appointment to important trusts in this department have been recently made and being unwilling to remain responsible for its administration under existing circumstances i respectfully resign the office of secretary of the treasury this letter however never reached the president as senator dixon came in before it was dispatched and discussed the matter in a spirit so entirely different from that of the secretary that no quarrel was possible with him and after he left mr chase wrote a letter to the president in which he said i do not insist on the renomination of mr howard and mr dixon and mr loomis as i understand do not claim the nomination of his successor my only object and i think you so understand it is to secure fit men for responsible places without admitting the rights of senators or representatives to control appointments for which the president and the secretary as his presumed adviser must be responsible unless this principle can be practically established i feel that i cannot be useful to you or the country in my present position it is possible that the secretary may have thought that this implied threat to resign brought both the president and the senator to reason for the matter ended at this time by their allowing him to have absolutely his own way mr dixon wrote to the president saying that he preferred to leave the whole matter to the secretary of the treasury believing his choice would be such as to advance the interests of the country and the administration and the president who heartily detested these squabbles over office was glad of this arrangement there was not a shade of difference between him and mr chase as to the duty of the administration to appoint only fit men to office but the president always preferred to effect this object without needlessly offending the men upon whom the government depended for its support in the war 
a few months later mr lincoln was subjected to great trouble and inconvenience by the constant complaints which came to him by every mail from puget sound against the collector for that district one victor smith from ohio a friend and appointee of mr chase this smith is described by shuckers as a man not very likely to become popular on the pacific coast or anywhere else he believed in spirit rappings and was an avowed abolitionist he whined a great deal about progress was somewhat arrogant in manner and intolerant in speech and speedily made himself thoroughly unpopular in his office no attention was paid by the secretary to these complaints which were from time to time referred to him by the president but at last the clamor by letter and by deputations from across the continent became intolerable and the president during a somewhat protracted absence of the secretary from washington ordered a change to be made in the office in a private note to mr chase wishing to avoid giving him personal offence he said my mind is made up to remove victor smith as collector of the customs at the puget sound district yet in doing this i do not decide that the charges against him are true i only decide that the degree of dissatisfaction with him there is too great for him to be retained but i believe he is your personal acquaintance and friend and if you desire it i will try to find some other place for him three days later the secretary having returned to washington answered in his usual manner protesting once more his ardent desire to serve the country faithfully and claiming that he had a right to be consulted in matters of appointment he sent a blank commission for the person whom the president had concluded to appoint but protested against the precedent and tendered his resignation this time again the president gave way he drove to the secretary's house handed his petulant letter back to him and begged him to think no more of the matter two days afterwards in a letter assenting to other recommendations for office which had come to him from the treasury department he said please send me over the commission for lewis g gunn as you recommend for a collector of customs at puget sound any statesman possessing a sense of humor would have hesitated before repeating this identical proceeding but as we have said mr chase was deficient in this saving sense and he apparently saw no reason why it should not be repeated indefinitely john j cisco the assistant treasurer at new york who had served the government with remarkable ability and efficiency through three administrations resigned his commission in may to take effect at the close of the fiscal year the thirtieth of june eighteen sixty four it was a post of great importance in a financial point of view and not insignificant in the way of political influence up to this time mr chase had made all the important appointments in new york from his own wing of the supporters of the union the men who had formerly been connected with the democratic party and who now belonged to what was called the radical wing of the republican this matter was the source of constant complaint from those who were sometimes called the conservative republicans of new york or those who had in great part formerly belonged to the whig party and who in later years acknowledged the leadership of mr seward 
the president was anxious that in an appointment so important as that which was now about to be made both sections of the party in new york should if possible be satisfied and especially that no nomination should be made which should be positively objectionable to senator morgan who was considered to represent more especially the city of new york and its great commercial interests to this mr chase at first interposed no objection and it was upon full and friendly consultation and conference between him and senator morgan that the appointment was offered successively to denning Duer and to john a stuart both of them gentlemen of the highest standing but both declined the office tendered them upon which mr chase suddenly resolved to appoint monsell b field who was at that time an assistant secretary of the treasury mr field was a gentleman of excellent social position of fine literary culture to whom the secretary was sincerely attached but who was entirely destitute of such standing in either the political or the financial circles of new york as was required by so important a place senator morgan at once protested vigorously against such an appointment which only served to confirm the secretary in his insistence upon it besides his objections to mr field whom he thought in no way competent to hold such a place mr morgan urged that the political result of his appointment would be extremely unfavorable to the union party in new york he became thoroughly alarmed and begged the secretary and the president successively to make their choice among three of the most eminent citizens of new york whose names he presented but the secretary's mind was made up without further consultation with the president he sent him the nomination for mr field on the twenty seventh of june the next day the president replied i cannot without much embarrassment make this appointment principally because of senator morgan's very firm opposition to it senator harris has not spoken to me on the subject though i understand he is not averse to the appointment of mr field nor yet to any one of the three named by senator morgan governor morgan tells me he has mentioned the three names to you to wit r m blatchford dudley s gregory and thomas hillhouse it will really oblige me if you will make choice among these three or any other man that senators morgan and harris will be satisfied with and send me a nomination for him there have been few ministers who would have refused so reasonable and considerate a request as this but it did not for a moment shake mr chase's determination to have his own way in the matter he sent a note to the president asking for an interview and telegraphed to mr cisco begging him most earnestly to withdraw his resignation and give the country the benefit of his services at least one quarter longer he was determined in one way or another that neither the president nor the senators from new york should have anything to say in regard to this appointment and conscious of his own blamelessness in all the controversy he went home and wrote in his diary oh for more faith and clearer sight how stable is the city of god how disordered is the city of man 
The same day the President wrote him. When I received your note this forenoon, suggesting a verbal conversation in relation to the appointment of a successor to Mr. Cisco, I hesitated, because the difficulty does not, in the main part, lie within the range of a conversation between you and me as the proverb goes no man knows so well where the shoe pinches as he who wears it i do not think mr field a very proper man for the place but i would trust your judgment and forego this were the greater difficulty out of the way much as i personally like mr barney it has been a great burden to me to retain him in his place when nearly all our friends in new york were directly or indirectly urging his removal then the appointment of judge hogeboom to be general appraiser brought me to and has ever since kept me at the verge of open revolt now the appointment of mr field would precipitate me in it unless senator morgan and those feeling as he does could be brought to concur in it strained as i always am at this point i do not think that i can make this appointment in the direction of still greater strain in the evening the extremely tense situation was relieved by a telegram from mr cisco complying with the request of the secretary to remain another quarter but it was not in the nature of mr chase to accept this simple denouement he felt that the president had acted badly and must be subjected to some discipline and he naturally resorted to those measures which had hitherto proved so effective he wrote to him the withdrawal of mr cisco's resignation which i enclose relieves the present difficulty but i cannot help feeling that my position here is not altogether agreeable to you and it is certainly too full of embarrassment and difficulty and painful responsibility to allow in me the least desire to retain it i think it my duty therefore to enclose to you my resignation i shall regard it as a real relief if you think proper to accept it and will most cheerfully render to my successor any aid he may find useful in entering upon his duties in this letter mr chase enclosed his formal resignation the president received this note while very much occupied with other affairs the first paper which met his eyes was the telegram from mr cisco withdrawing his resignation glad that the affair was so happily terminated he laid the packet aside for some hours without looking at the other papers contained in it the next morning wishing to write a congratulatory note to mr chase upon this welcome termination of the crisis he found to his bitter chagrin and disappointment that the secretary had once more tendered his resignation he took it to mean precisely what the secretary had intended that if he were to retain mr chase as secretary of the treasury it should not be hereafter as a subordinate to refuse this resignation to go once more to the secretary and urge him to remain would amount to an abdication of his constitutional powers he therefore without hesitation sent him this letter your resignation of the office of secretary of the treasury sent me yesterday is accepted of all i have said in commendation of your ability and fidelity i have nothing to unsay and yet you and i have reached a point of mutual embarrassment in our official relation which it seems cannot be overcome or longer sustained consistently with the public service 
at the same time he sent to the senate the nomination of david todd of ohio as secretary of the treasury most people have chosen to consider this a singular selection yet david todd was by no means an unknown man he had gained an honourable position at the bar had been the democratic candidate for governor in eighteen forty four had served with credit as minister to brazil was first vice-president of the charleston convention and became its president at baltimore on the secession of caleb cushing was one of the most prominent men in ohio in railroad and mining enterprises had been the most eminent and efficient of the war democrats of the state and as governor had shown executive capacity of a high order there were some superficial points of resemblance between mr chase and governor todd that doubtless caught the attention of the president in choosing a successor to the former in such haste todd was a citizen of the same state with chase of which both had been governor he had come into the union party from the democrats he was a man of unusually dignified and impressive presence but it is safe to say that no one had ever thought of him for the place now vacant the nomination was presented to the senate at its opening and was received with amazement not the least surprised of the statesmen in the capital was mr chase himself who was busy at the moment in one of the committee rooms of the senate arranging some legislation which he needed for his department there are many indications which go to show that his resignation of the evening before was intended like those which had preceded it as a means of discipline for the president after sending it he wrote to mr cisco expressing his thanks for the withdrawal of his resignation and saying it relieves me from a very painful embarrassment i could not remain here and see your office made parcel of the machinery of party or even feel serious apprehensions that it might be even on the morning of the thirtieth of june mr chase wrote to the president recommending a considerable increase of taxation saying that there would be a deficit by existing laws of about eighty millions on the other hand there was nothing to show up to the instant that he was informed of the nomination of todd that he expected his official career to end on that day the news for the moment created something like consternation in political circles at the capitol mr washburn hurried to the white house saying the change was disastrous that at this time of military unsuccess financial weakness congressional hesitation on questions of conscription and imminent famine in the west it was ruinous the senate committee on finance to which the nomination of todd had been referred came down in a body to talk with the president about it the president gave this account of the interview fessenden was frightened conness was angry sherman thought we could not have gotten on together much longer anyhow cowan and van winkle were indifferent they not only objected to any change but specially protested against the nomination of todd as too little known and too inexperienced for the place the president replied that he had little personal acquaintance with todd that he had nominated him on account of the high opinion he had formed of him as governor of ohio but that the senate had the duty and responsibility of passing upon the question of fitness in which it must be entirely untrammelled he could not in justice to himself or to todd withdraw the nomination 
the impression of the undesirability of the change rather deepened during the day mr hooper of massachusetts an intimate friend of both the president and mr chase and the man upon whom both principally relied for the conduct of financial legislation in the house spoke of the crisis in deep depression he said he had been for some time of the opinion that mr chase did not see his way entirely clear to raising the funds which were necessary that his supplementary demand for money sent in at the close of the session after everything had been granted which he asked looked like an intention to throw an anchor to windward in case he was refused mr hooper said he had waked that morning feeling a little vexed that chase had done this that he thought it was an attempt to throw an unfair responsibility upon congress but now this resignation came to relieve him of all responsibility his successor would have an enormous work to do the future was troubled there remained the great practical problem regularly recurring to raise one hundred millions a month i do not clearly see he said how it is to be done the talent of finance in its national aspect is something entirely different from banking most bankers criticize mr chase but he has a faculty of using the knowledge and experience of others to the best advantage that has sufficed him hitherto a point has been reached where he does not clearly see what comes next and at this point the president allows him to step from under his load this view of the case has a color of confirmation in a passage of the diary of mr chase of the thirtieth of june which goes to show at least a mixed motive in his resignation after his resignation had been accepted mr hooper had called upon him and evidently hoping that some reconciliation was still possible told him that several days before the president had spoken to him in terms of high esteem indicating his purpose of making him chief justice in the event of a vacancy a post which mr chase had long before told the president was the one he most desired mr chase answered that had such expression of goodwill reached him in time it might have prevented the present misunderstanding but that now he could not change his position besides he adds i did not see how i could carry on the department without more means than congress was likely to supply and amid the embarrassments created by factious hostility within and both factious and party hostility without the department at night the president received a dispatch from mr todd declining the appointment on the ground of ill-health the president's secretary went immediately to the capitol to communicate this information to the senators so that no vote might be taken on the nomination early the next morning the president sent to the senate the nomination of william pitt fessenden senator from maine when he gave the nomination to his secretary the latter informed him that mr fessenden was then in the ante-room waiting to see him he answered start at once for the senate and then let fessenden come in the senator who was chairman of the senate committee on finance began immediately to discuss the question of the vacant place in the treasury suggesting the name of hugh mcculloch the president listened to him for a moment with a smile of amusement and then told him that he had already sent his nomination to the senate fessenden leaped to his feet exclaiming you must withdraw it i cannot accept if you decline said the president you must do it in open day for i shall not recall the nomination 
we talked about it for some time said the president and he went away less decided in his refusal the nomination was instantly confirmed the executive session lasting no more than a minute there seemed to be no difference of opinion in regard to mr fessenden the only fear was that he would not accept his first impulse was to decline but being besieged all day by the flattering solicitations of his friends it was impossible for him to persist in refusing the president was equally surprised and gratified at the enthusiastic and general approval the nomination had met with he said it is very singular considering that this appointment is so popular when made that no one ever mentioned his name to me for that place thinking over the matter two or three points occurred to me first his thorough acquaintance with the business as chairman of the senate committee of finance he knows as much of this special subject as mr chase he possesses a national reputation and the confidence of the country he is a radical without the petulant and vicious fretfulness of many radicals there are reasons why this appointment ought to be very agreeable to him for some time past he has been running in rather a pocket of bad luck the failure to renominate mr hamlin makes possible a contest between him and the vice-president the most popular man in maine for the election which is now imminent a little while ago in the senate you know trumbull told him his ill-temper had left him no friends but this sudden and most gratifying manifestation of good feeling over his appointment his instantaneous confirmation the earnest entreaties of everybody that he should accept cannot but be very grateful to his feelings mr chase left a full record in his diaries and letters of the sense of injury and wrong done him by the president he especially resented the president's reference to the embarrassment in our official relations i had found a good deal of embarrassment from him he said but what he had found from me i could not imagine unless it has been caused by my unwillingness to have offices distributed as spoils or benefits he has never given me the active and earnest support i was entitled to after mr fessenden was appointed the ex-secretary entered in his diary his approval of the selection he has the confidence of the country and many who have become inimical to me will give their confidence to him and their support perhaps they will do more than they otherwise would to sustain him in order to show how much better a secretary he is than i was before mr fessenden accepted his appointment he called on mr chase and conversed fully with him on the subject mr chase frankly and cordially advised him to accept telling him that all the great work of the department was now fairly blocked out and in progress that the organization was planned and in many ways complete and all in a state which admitted of completion his most difficult task would be to provide money but he would have advantages said mr chase which i had not those persons to whom i had given offence would have no cause of ill-will against him and would very probably come to his support with zeal increased by their ill-will to me so my damage would be to his advantage especially with a certain class of capitalists and bankers the entries in mr chase's diary continue for several days in the same strain 
he congratulates himself on his own integrity he speaks with severity of the machinations of imaginary enemies on the second of july he remarks the passage of the bill giving the secretary of the treasury control over trade in the rebel states and authority to lease abandoned property and to care for the freedmen and adds how much good i expected to accomplish under this bill will my successor do this work i fear not he had not the same heart for this measure that i had on the fourth of july the ringing of bells the firing of cannon and the snapping of crackers awoke him to the reflection that if the government had been willing to do justice and had used its vast powers with equal energy and wisdom the struggle might have been happily terminated long ago later in the same day mr fessenden came to see him and informed him that he had been discussing with the president the subject of appointments in the treasury department and that mr lincoln had requested him not to remove any friends of governor chase unless there should be a real necessity for it mr chase persuaded himself that if the president had spoken to him in that tone he would have withdrawn his resignation why did he not he mused i can see but one reason that i am too earnest too anti-slavery and say too radical to make him willing to have me connected with the administration just as my opinion that he is not earnest enough not anti-slavery enough not radical enough goes naturally with those hostile to me rather than with me makes me willing and glad to be disconnected from it how far his animosity against the president had misled this able honest pure and otherwise sagacious man may be seen in one single phrase referring to the president's refusal to sign the reconstruction bill he put down his deliberate opinion that neither the president nor his chief advisers had abandoned the idea of possible reconstruction with slavery and this in spite of the president's categorical statement while i remain in my present position i shall not attempt to retract or modify the emancipation proclamation nor shall i return to slavery any person who is free by the terms of that proclamation or by any of the acts of congress and of his declaration that such action would be a cruel and an astounding breach of faith but after all these expressions of that petulant injustice which was only a foible in a noble character the greatest financial secretary which the country had known since hamilton had a perfect right in laying down the high office he had borne with such integrity and with such signal success to indulge in the meditation which we find in his diary of june the thirtieth so my official life closes i have laid broad foundations nothing but wise legislation and especially bold yet judicious provision of taxes with fair economy in administration and energetic yet prudent military action seems necessary to ensure complete success End of chapter four